This is episode 9 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Thank you for joining us for episode 9 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. A big shout out from me to you, the audience. You are helping us to spread a message of empowered, healthy, and conscious aging. And a special thanks to Healthy Living LA. Whoever or wherever you are, thank you for your five-star review of this podcast. These reviews help others to discover the messages and content that may serve them as well. As always, you can access this podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, or directly from the website at innergameofaging.com forward slash podcasts. That's podcast with an S at the end. I am just so honored to be able to speak with today's guest, Frank Sampson. Frank has been speaking about and advocating for a number of senior-related issues for many years now. In 2009, he started a business, Senior Care Authority, which would go on to serve so many families as they struggle to understand how to care for their elder family members. In 2010, he started hosting a local radio show discussing the issues facing senior care and family issues related to the elderly. In late 2013, he turned his radio show into a podcast called The Aging Boomers, which is one of the foremost podcasts dealing with the concerns of older citizens. He is approaching almost 200 episodes in this podcast, and it covers such an impressive array of topics. He went on to write a book to capture and summarize much of the information contained in his podcast journey. Stick around to the end of our discussion here, when I will tell you how you can get his valuable book for free. And I know that after you hear our discussions, you will want that book. So, here he is, Frank Sampson. Frank, you are the host of a rather successful podcast called The Aging Boomers. Mm-hmm. Now, as I, can, as I see it, this podcast is approaching 200 episodes almost. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't count, but... It's yeah, quite you, up there. You, you could be about right. And I, I actually did um, uh, many more episodes than that prior to starting the pod te- podcast because I was doing a, uh, a radio, just a, a local radio show. And then I uh, and then I moved to the podcast. So I would say for about oh, two years, every single week, I was doing a radio show prior wow. to the podcast. So I, I've done quite a few. Absolutely. And the people that you have spoken to in this experience of yours has been just all over the map. I can't imagine, the you know, just from listening to the podcast, I have gained 
so much about things I did not know before. You've authored a book trying to contain all of this information in the pages of a book. It's <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, well, it's tough to contain all the information. I just tried to, at the time I, I wrote the book, I was trying to put together some, uh, what I believe to be kind of critical information for families, especially, you know, boomers, seniors mm. to be aware of and, okay. and, and try to help educate them just a little. <laughs> You've so, done a, a good job as far as I'm concerned. More people need to hear the message that you are putting forth. I'm happy to be part of that dialogue. But let's start at the beginning. You have a what you call a day job called Senior Care Authority. <laughs> right, um, right. Let's, I, um, let's start there just a little bit. Your, my main interest in you is not necessarily a senior care authority, but more the podcast and the book. But let's start with senior care authority since that is where you are truly focused. Yeah, well, I went through a whole lot uh, with family members of mine, uh, parents, brother, and I saw uh, a, a need uh, and you know, if anybody's been through it uh, with a parent or other loved one, it could be pretty daunting uh, to try to figure out what steps a particular family member should make regarding, you know, a parent, a spouse, other loved one. And I realized that navigating through the healthcare system is not so easy. Yes. And um, it, it really can add to stress and, and all of that. So I, I was fortunate enough to be able to take some time off. I took about a year off and, and research the healthcare industry and those involved in senior services. And uh, it's not like I was the first to set up this type of model. I'm not, but it was uh, it certainly at an early stage there were company in Arizona, some some businesses in California that had set up somewhat similar models. And the model is basically assisting families uh, to help them find the best places to live and get proper care for their loved ones. And that may be assisted living, memory care, um, mm -hmm. you know, you know pl places like that, as well as doing some what we call case management or elder care consulting work for families. Okay. And uh, we set up kind of a unique model in that uh, we negotiated with these assisted living locations to pay us a commission if uh, we were to bring them a new client, a new family member uh, to stay there. Therefore, we didn't have to charge the family anything. Hmm. And that's kind of that's kind of that model. So I started the company in 2009, um, uh, had some uh, great success, continued to operate it. But in two, uh, end of 2014, I started to franchise the concept. And we now have uh, 22, close to 20, almost 23 uh, around the corner franchises and about almost 40 territories around the country. So wow. it's, it's grown nicely. And, um, uh, you know, but right after I started the company in 2009, in 2010 is when I started the Aging Boomers. It was a, uh -huh. a local radio show here in the community. And uh, I happen to be based in 
Sonoma, California. And um, I approached a more of a local regional radio station and said, I think there's a, a tremendous need uh, to educate our community on um, a lot of the challenges that families face. And uh, they immediately got back to me and said, let's do it. Okay. So um, uh, I've been doing the show and I still do it. I mean, now I send kind of my tapes from my podcast. But uh, so for a couple few years, I mean, I go into the radio station and uh, but I, the people that I was interviewing, I was interviewing people locally. So mm-hmm. people who doctors, uh, attorneys, sure. uh, you know, to help educate the local community. When I moved it to a podcast, now I do interview people on a national basis. Yes, and I've I've looked at oh I can't say I've listened to every single episode. I wish I could, mm-hmm. but there's just you so maybe it would be the first if you listen to episode <laughs> one. I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's, uh, you have so much there. I've selected a few that I'm still going down the list that I have to listen to. So, now fit the book into this picture. You had been doing the radio talk show and the podcast, and then this book came along. How did the Aging Boomers book happen from you? I, I think it was, you know, just maybe on my bucket list of things I wanted to do. But uh, at the same time, I was having friends, family members, business acquaintances, you know, you have so, you know, just like you were saying, Lee, you got a lot of good information there. And I started to get some emails from people saying, I love your podcast, but could you provide, I like reading hmm. versus, versus just listening. Could you transcribe your podcasts? Hmm. Which, and it got me thinking, going, well, wow, if I transcribed some of these, and kind of put it into a, a nice format. Uh, again, it, it's just providing people various ways uh, to get the information. I mean, if if people listen to every single podcast, I, listen, I'd love for them to get the book, but it would be kind of a repeat for mm-hmm. a lot of it. But some people would rather just, you know, read about it and, and, and in a more concise manner. So, um, I don't know, got up one day and said, I'm going to do it. And literally, I, I did it in 90 days. 90 days. 90 days. 90 I, days. I, and I figured that if I don't really dedicate myself to it, uh, it's going to just take me too long. And, you know, because I, I am running, yeah. you know, running the business and doing the podcast. Oh, still, yes, so, I hear uh, you. I'm, yeah, I'm on so the same, I, I just said, I'm going to put a goal on this. I'm going to get this thing done. And uh, and, and I, I did. And, and uh, you know, and I, I, I do have plans to uh, have, uh, you know, additional additional books and okay. uh, as well, you know, sit in a similar manner. Interesting. You know? I, too, have moved in that direction. I am in the process of writing the Inner Game of Aging books, similar to, you know, which will come from many of the episodes of my podcast. Now, but your book, you have sort of taken all the information in your podcast and put so much of that into the book in a strange way you use an avatar to send her <laughs> through a life i thought it was very neat can you describe what you've done there in the book to present well, I, this information I, I thought if i just list uh questions and answers for people just do a transcription of the interviews 
honestly, I thought maybe that'd be kind of boring, you know? So I, mm-hmm. uh, to spice it up a little bit, I, like you said, I have this avatar. I've got a, a fictional character, but uh, somebody who, in my mind, is pretty realistic because I've worked with so many families. So I took somebody, uh, her name is Lori, and uh, she's in her 50s. Uh, she is confronted with issues with her parents, her siblings, not everybody agreeing on you know, the care that's needed for her parents. She works full-time as a teacher. She's going through a lot of stress. So, I mean, it, it, you kind of get the idea. Mm. This is pretty typical, actually. It's not unique. Um, and I basically, uh, Lori uh, has come to me as an advisor uh, to help her through this process. She was referred to me. And so I'm not only giving her my, you know, my advice and areas that I'm more of an expert in, I I believe, Mm -hmm. but I am then introducing her to various people, uh, dementia experts, elder law attorneys, um, uh, all, all different uh, in-home care agencies, specialists, uh, to kind of take take her through that entire process and introducing her to these people. And sometimes we're uh, sitting in that person's office together, or sometimes I set up a conference call and we're asking questions and they're giving answers. And that's kind of what has come from the podcast. I I thought that was just a neat and novel way to present all this truly diverse information. You have touched so many issues relating to caregiving, end-of-life process, the the way we need to take care of our parents, et cetera, et cetera, all with this character that you've moved throughout the book from issue to issue to issue. I just think it's a, a... rather neat way to maintain an interest so yeah well it it actually made it a little more interesting for me to put together because i i I really in my mind as i was doing this uh lori was really a person in my mind that i've dealt with Mm -hmm. all right her name wasn't lori but (laughs) uh, but but i actually i did you know, do a lot of this in in reality. And so, um, you know, it's not made up at -hmm. all. And it was just really, and I'm sure there's, uh, I've gotten a lot of comments from people saying, my God, I'm going through the exact same thing. This has been so helpful. And then there's going to be people who read it and maybe aren't going through exactly that, but it will help them and preparing should uh, that need arise. Now, um, your book, I don't want to repeat and review the information in the book. I prefer my listeners to re- read the book themselves or to listen to the podcast to, to discern some of these. But you have been in a unique position than most of people in our culture. You have seen our own culture of aging. And you know, for the inner game of aging, I am very concerned about the culture in which we age in and what how that affects us how we respond to that culture how do you see this culture of aging you've been here in this area for so long what's the how old are you by the way i am let's see uh tomorrow i am going to be uh 63 my goodness 
You're a baby. <laughs> I I think I am. I mean, I, I sometimes I act. My wife tells me I act like one sometimes. Yeah, so, you and me both. Uh, I'm I'm young at heart. Yeah, yes. So, but how do you see the culture? What statements would you give me about the culture of aging in the American society? Let me put some context on that. I put forth a distinction between growing older and growing old. Growing old is a cultural process, whereas growing older is a biological process. I wanted you to speak or give me your thoughts on the cultural process we have for aging, as you have seen it. Well, I, I, I think with, uh, especially if we're addressing those in the boomer group, mm. you know, there, there are certainly, and, and, you know, I'm right there. I think, I think you're right there too. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I'm sure, you know, you talk to people, friends, family, and Everybody's talking about their aches and pains. They're talking about what medications they're taking. And, you know, the, the right. conversations have totally changed. But I do agree with you with the old and older. I mean, I think so much of it, you know, is kind of in your mind. I mean, you, you know, yes. it's funny. You look, uh, you look back at photos. Uh, you know, I've looked <laughs> back at photos of my parents, my grandparents at my age. And they sure looked a lot older, didn't they? I mean, I, I think so. Uh, yes. That, that I, I think I do, or at least my wife and <laughs> does. Uh, but um, so I, I think a lot of it is just that. I think that um, uh, the old, uh, well, as soon as you turn 65, you retire. You get the gold yeah. watch and, and, and move on. And, and that's all changed. That's no, all changed. Right? That's all changed. So, um, I, I, the only thing is, listen, I what what you're talking about to your listeners, I think, is phenomenal, and I really wish everybody would listen to you and pay attention and a lot of the things that you talk about, because I I would you know I want everybody to be healthy the rest of their life and not have issues. That's right. Okay? Yeah. I mean, that's what I want to see. Okay. That's, that would be tremendous. That'd and, be, you know. It- the reality is this, though. All right. People are living longer. Yes. All right. Because they're, if they listen to you, they're going to be healthier. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and they're beating. Other because of medical advances, we're beating diseases that maybe once killed us. You know, whether it's been heart disease. Obviously, you're taking preventative measures for a lot of that. That I'm sure you Mm -hmm. talk to your listeners about. But if somebody did have heart disease, cancer, etc., though, you know, one person dying from that is one too many. But the fact is, is that the percentage is going way down as far as uh, percentage of people dying from heart disease and cancer and all of yes. that. The numbers are still high, but the percentage is way down. But the one thing that continues to increase at a just phenomenal rate, it's almost scary, all right, is people who get dementia. 
Yes. All right. Yes. So the you know, so even though you might be beating those diseases, statistics show, and this might scare some people, and I'm sorry, but I'm just <laughs> I'm I'm just the uh, messenger here. All right. <laughs> That if you reach the age of 75, you have a 50% chance of getting dementia. That's correct, Frank. Now, Frank, despite the truth of this statistic, I look at what's behind that. Why do we have a 50% chance? And I ask the question, this sort of takes us off our discussion a bit, but I think it's an interesting diversion. Right. Why is that number so high? And many people give many reasons. The Some people say it's inevitable. Other people say it's lifestyle. We're now calling dementia a type of diabetes, a cardiovascular issue. There's lots of research that's going on to understand what dementia is, and we are uncovering many lifestyle issues that support taking on dementia as we get older and older. My preference, and I believe research will help me establish this, I am not sure, my, but I prefer to think of dementia as not normal aging. Mm-hmm. The statistics you quote is definitely true. 50% of 75-year-olds or more are, you know, are going to get dementia. But it still doesn't mean it's normal aging. It's still, you know, for me, a lot of that is sitting in our lifestyle and our choices in our culture. Now, I don't know how accurate I am. The research will bear me out here and it will not bear me out there. But... You're absolutely right, Frank. The numbers are way too high. We are beating other diseases, and because of our aging population, we're going to see a tremendous rise in dementia. But was this preventable if we look back? Is it preventable if we look forward? I'd like to say the answer is yes, but I don't really know. I mean, I'd like to say yes, too, and uh, I know probably a topic that you know I think was of interest to you. You and I had talked about it offline, and that is uh, blue zones. And, yes. and uh, I, I have a good friend of mine, actually, uh, in the San Diego area, who was asked uh, to be one of, the, uh, one of the people doing a study in Italy. And he, he's mm. been in Italy for a while, and, and part of that study just came out. I actually posted it on my Facebook page uh, recently because he was interviewed. His name is Dr. Alan Mazel. And, and what was very interesting in the study in this, area, this certain area of Italy, and it's similar to the Blue Zone, is uh, people there, there were so, a high percentage of people living to over 100 Okay, very, very low percentage, if any at all, people getting dementia in that group. Okay, so what so what they're trying to figure out is why is that? So I think what you're saying, I believe it. I I do believe it. But we have to get to the bottom of it. You know, is it all the processed foods? Is it the exercise? Is it, you know, all the things and and, and the blue zone areas, all those areas happen to be where. People don't go to work out. That's you right. Know, if anybody hasn't seen you work out, let's, they should let's take back a look. <laughs> but, but I'm saying it's just a lifestyle of, of, of exercise. You know, that's their lifestyle. 
doing a lot of can you can you explain to my audience Blue Zones. We've mentioned Blue Zones. Can you explain to my audience what Blue Zones for those who may well, not be familiar? Well, it was actually, um, and it's uh, shame on me, but uh, his name, uh, uh, I, I can't John think of his name. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So they basically, j- just what I said, they found that there were certain areas of the world, pockets throughout the world, um, where living longer, they were just living longer and living and, and being healthier. Just like we said, there wasn't yeah. high, you know, high percentage of dementia, um, less, heart disease, less stress, heart yes. disease. So that's kind of the bottom line. And, and it's, there's been, there's books written, written on it. Uh, and these are kind of these areas that they call the blue zones that you know, what what are they doing different there? Yeah. And again, it all relates to similar what we were talking about, you know, uh, healthier diet, fresh foods, nothing, you know, no process, process yes. a, lot, a lot of uh you know, exercise, but natural exercise, you know? Yes, yeah, not the stuff I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, not, it's not that everybody in these blue zones go to the gym. Nobody does. But, but, during, exactly. but during their course of life, their, their amount of walking and what they do um, is providing, you know, great extra, you know, yeah. is providing just, na- you know, naturally, not going out of your way to do it. Yes, exactly. I mean, uh, the way their lifestyle alone provides the activity, the nutrition that keeps them living and going. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to subscribe to a gym. They live that way in a natural manner, you know, whether it be farming or interacting with others. They exercise their body and eat correctly, and they are socially connected in the manner that... Now, we have certain blue zones in this country do do we have blue zones in america here yeah there are some pockets in in this area as well uh and it's interesting there's actually even uh an area in california but you know so i'm and and just lifestyle is just a little you know same thing this lifestyle happens to be a little different and in certain areas i don't have the mm-hmm. actual list in front of me but uh yeah um but but certainly it, it, it all just makes a lot of sense. But changing our culture uh, yeah. is going to take some work. And, and I think Absolutely. that, uh, you know, what you're doing and uh, your podcast and future books uh, hopefully will mm-hmm. play, play uh, an important part of that. So we, it has to change. I, I do feel that, uh, you know, the fact is, you know, my business, we talked about it earlier, Senior Care mm-hmm. Authority. Listen, I hope we'll don't have to exist, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> 20 years from now or, or 50 oh, years Oh, I don't see that happening. Now. We'll always. You know, but right now, uh, there's just, you know, as I say, people, I, I you know, people are going to age, of course. I, of course. The likelihood of somebody aging and then just one, you know, just falling asleep and uh, passing away and uh, not having any pain or any discomfort or any issues is pretty, you're right, pretty unlikely. There's going to be something leading yeah. up to it, but we could certainly minimize that. That's, a, that's right. And that's what I'm all about in, in the inner game of aging. 
Now, one of the places where I have followed you to understand some selected issues more deeply than I have is in the area of caregiving. Mm -hmm. I am seeing this as a big, big problem at this point in time. And I see it as a problem that has many aspects to it. Are The boomers are a special lot in that they have to take care of aging parents and sometimes younger, possibly adult children. And this caregiver issue that I'm looking at in our culture it seems like it's going to get a lot worse before it gets a lot better. Mm -hmm. uh, tell me your thoughts on caregiving as we do it in this country. Well, I, I think that, first of all, let's define uh, caregiving. There's, there's professional caregiving and there's, mm -hmm. you know, family caregiving. All right. Okay. And, and both are trying to accomplish the same thing, but, um, family caregiving, so an adult daughter or son or a spouse taking care of their loved one because they they need help, whether they need help physically or they need guidance or supervision because of cognitive issues, all right? Hmm. And um, that is totally changing things. Um, I could tell you that uh, there used to be a, a time where child care uh, was a big issue with companies, all right, businesses yes. where, you know, well, they let uh, employees off because they got it, you know, they hear about it all the time. My child's sick. I can't come in today. Okay. That's right. Now it's, it's moving to, because people are working longer. So they are, now their kids are grown. All right. Mm -hmm. And now mm -hmm. they're having to take time off to take care of a parent or a mm. spouse, and it's, it, companies have to be educated, you know, with this. So yes, I kind of got a little off track, but the fact that, no. is that family caregiving is, you know, is changing so many things. It's, it's taking people out of the workplace. How many, you know, hours are being lost, you know, uh, yes. for that? It's putting financial pressures on the adult children, because now maybe when the husband and wife are working, maybe the husband's just working and the, the wife says, I got to take care of my mom. She took care of me mm. when I was younger. I got to take care of her. So, um, you know, so we're seeing a lot of that. And, and uh, uh, obviously, professional caregiving would be to hire somebody. Now, whether you hire mm -hmm. somebody to come in to your home to help, uh, is a huge, huge business today and, and yes. uh, oh, absolutely. You know, needed. Or you are, uh, you know, your loved one is living somewhere where they have caregivers there 24 hours a day, like uh, assisted living, okay? Now, there's a perception out there that uh, you, you know, if, if you can't live at home, then you have to go into nursing. And that's so not true today. I mean, yes, there are many more options these days. Many more yeah, options. Yeah, I mean, there, it, it, you know, back in the, even as far back as the 90s, that was, you know, the main two options. But now with that middle part, there's that assisted living. But caregivers, I think what keeps me up at night on caregiving is that will we have enough professional caregivers? 
to take care of this uh, silver tsunami that we're talking about. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so I, I am concerned about the, uh, I, I guess, not necessarily just professionalism, but just having experienced caregivers and enough of them to take care of what's, what's around the corner. And also, uh, I, I think that, I think your audience Mm-hmm. Are, are these family caregivers that have to, if yes. they don't take care of themselves, they're not going right. to, they're not going to do their family member any good. And there are statistics showing that in many cases, the family caregiver passes away before uh, yes. the person they're caring for because of the increased stress and everything. I have a question to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. But before I get to that particular question, you have neatly divided up the caregiver problem into two segments the professional side professional caregivers and the family side those people who are taking care of loved ones Mm -hmm. now um the characteristics of those two sides are very different you are concerned that we may not have enough professional caregivers to address the need that's coming up and certainly the family caregivers Understanding their needs so they can do that job successfully may not, we may not be in tune with all of that yet. Uh, And so it's, it's interesting because these are two separate problems that's coming to the same point. Yeah. We need to do, understand, and promote policies that support both sides of resolving this kind of problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I relate, even though two different things, but I relate um, caregiving, in a sense, to even like teachers who, in a lot of cases, in my opinion, you know, teachers are just so important, but yet they're, I think, un, you know, underpaid. But, uh, you know, underpaid and not valued enough. Right, and I think yeah, that's just uh, going to be the same. That's kind of what's happening with caregiving. They're, they're at kind of the lowest level from a pay standpoint. So things have to change there. And there are some very innovative companies out there that are, you know, uh, paying caregivers a higher amount and kind of changing the model of in-home care, which is a whole nother subject matter. But I have, you know, people myself on that uh, subject matter. So there's got to be changes there as well. All right. Where you bring in, you're not just bringing, you know, you're bringing in people who, who want to learn caregiving and really train them uh, properly and paying them, mm. uh, uh, you know, paying them enough to, you know, uh, keep them. They're not just there proper. for the money. They're, they're there because of a passion they have as well as. A oh, career. exactly. Yeah, right. But yeah, they have to so. still they got to pay their bills, too. So exactly. <laughs> so. Right. One of the things that concerns me a bit more is not on the professional caregiving side, but on the personal caregiving side. I am seeing many problems there. For example, caregiving fatigue. As you said, you have to take care of the caregiver. Mm -hmm. There's also issues when you don't live close to the loved one that you're trying to take care of. And... I wanted to explore some of the gender roles that we see in a culture when it comes to caregiving. This is all on the personal side of caregiving as opposed to the professional side of caregiving. Okay. Yeah. My audience um, is going to end up, you know, a large portion of them will end up taking care of their parents. 
And we have to understand our parents. We have to understand uh, their needs. But we have to understand our needs as people too. Otherwise, we will not be effective as caregivers. So I'd like to understand what you have understood about caregiver fatigue, for example. Well, it's a huge, you know, it's a huge problem. That's for sure. I I think that guilt is probably the uh, biggest issue affecting uh, family caregiving. And what I mean by guilt is the thinking of, well, my mom or my dad took care of me. You know, they changed my diapers. You know, they did all this. I need to do this for them. Okay. And, and so there's that guilt of, I'm not going to have somebody else do this. I'm going to do it. And and then, Mm -hmm. and then it becomes just too much, you know, for that, for that person. And, and it just increased stress levels, lack of sleep, everything that goes with it. Um, Also, there's the, I, my suggestion is the worst thing that a parent could say to a child is never put me in a nurse, quote, nursing home, which what, the, mm. what they mean by that is don't put me in nursing. Don't put me in any type of a facility where someone else is taking care of me. So usually they're lumping in even assisted living in that. And then, uh, and then uh, the adult child, now this might have been, you know, years ago, but the adult child says, don't worry, mom, don't worry, dad, we'll take care of you. All right. And then the, you know, the guilt sets in. So the thing about it is that there, there's certainly, I, I welcome, I, I think it's wonderful that a, a son, a daughter, another family member is taking care of a loved one in their family. But sometimes the type of care that's needed is so great. It's beyond their knowledge. Yes. And and are they really the best person to take care of them? I mean, I I can't tell you how many situations I've run into where a family caregiver is so stressed out and they talk to me and they said, my mom just doesn't get it. She, she's asking me, where her, you know, uh, when's her dad coming over? And her dad's been gone for 20 years. And I keep telling her that he died 20 years ago. And I go, whoa, (laughs) that's just totally the wrong approach. Yeah, you're making things worse for yourself. Yeah, you're making things worse. Exactly right. Because someone with dementia, you know, it's like me saying to you, uh, Lee, we're not having this interview right now. And you go, yes, yeah. we are. And I go, no, we don't. <laughs> but you know we are, but you got to go with me because yeah, I really yeah. do believe this, all right? And <laughs> that's the same thing that works. So it's an education process. It's if somebody needs physical assistance, a family member, well, there's there's training necessary of how to properly transfer somebody. I can't tell you how many times I hear about a family member, uh, uh, the husband taking a fall on top of the wife who is just trying to help. And they're both down now. All right. So (laughs) I I, I think that, um, uh, but if they can do it right, the important thing is they have to devote time to take care of themselves. If they don't devote time to take care of themselves, it's just, it, 
I'm very focused on that. It doesn't work. I'm very focused. I became a bit more sensitized to this issue 11 years ago when I had a very severe accident and my wife took care of me for four months. Over the course of those four months of me healing, I saw the strain on her, you know, the routines that we had to go through for my recovery. And although in her case... I was getting better and better and better. In many other cases, you're not getting better and better and better. Right. Um, and and the fact that I was getting better and better was able to motivate her more and more. Whereas in the case of these other caregivers you're referring to, they don't have that as an impetus for their motivation. Yeah. Uh, right. Getting better and better. Right. Right. And so, and, um, yeah, especially certain diseases, obviously, they're not going to get better. It's just going to continue to get worse. Yeah. That's right. And the confusion of a caregiver as to how to give care, for example, you just mentioned an excellent example, Frank, um, of, you know, of, we don't know what we're doing when we give care sometimes, especially in the case of dementia. Interacting with a person with dementia is very different than interacting with a normal person. Right. You know, like, as you say, we're not having this podcast conversation when we are. How do I, as a normal person, deal with that? Well, that takes a, a bit of training to right. learn how to deal with that. Yeah. And not all of us have that training. Exactly. I certainly do. And, and there's, there's training out there, you know. Uh, I mean, there's training out there to help from a physical standpoint, there's training out there to help if your loved one has cognitive issues, etc. But you brought up uh, uh, something earlier that we I didn't address, and that's the long distance caregiving. Yes, that's so, right. So, yes. you know, caregiving could actually be, uh, is a very generic term. So you could still be a family caregiver living, you know, the other side of the country, but you're not providing the care. You're kind of just trying to manage the situation. And that certainly is extremely stressful because you're, you know, you're not seeing it going on. And uh, the only, you know, the best advice I could give to long distance caregiver is get an advocate that is uh, located where your loved one is. All right. And there are advocates yes. out there. I mean, uh, I'm not, yes, I, I'm not, yeah, I, you know, there's geriatric care managers. There's, uh, a lot, you know, and these are kind of where they're your eyes and ears and, and, and checking in on mom and reporting back to you. And to try to do it yourself long distance uh, is very, very difficult. And, I agree. Yeah. The One of the things that I sort of stress, I've come to stress very strongly in circumstances like that is to let technology help you. You know, yeah. in this, using the same technology that you and I are using to speak to each other now, you're on one side of the country, I'm on another side of the country. And I can assess the my parent much more accurately by using these sort of technologies and determine her needs. Yeah, you know, nothing is foolproof. It's still going to be difficult. It's just that these technologies you could take advantage of them to make things, to provide you more information about what you need. You can even talk to her doctors or, yeah, technology is a tremendous assistance to us these days. I wish more of us would take advantage of us, uh, take advantage of it. Yeah, and that part is so, growing. We, we talk about some of those technologies in my book, and certainly I've interviewed people on, on podcasts, just interviewed somebody recently about 
you know, some advances in these technologies, but there are so many, you're right. There's so many out there. I don't, I don't believe, uh, even though there's literally robots now being tested in some areas <laughs> to replace a caregiver and, and, and it's, it's working to some respect, but, uh, you know, to have a conversation with an elderly person, I'm not sure how effective the robot will be, but yeah, uh, yeah. there's a lot of technology out there and, um, yeah, that, that all has to be, you know, looked at, I mean, anywhere from, um, you know, I, I, the, my main concern with seniors, you know, at home or even living in an assisted living are falls, you know, falls are the biggest, the yes. biggest issue. Uh, now, um, Obviously, if they take your advice, hopefully that will never be an yes. issue with them. <laughs> I I advocate I advocate you know falls are a big concern for older people, and that's why I suggest you start early. Never stop moving. Always understand that your body is built to move, and if you stop moving it, it's going to be compromised. Yeah. And by the time you reach a sensitive age, a, a dangerous fall is much more likely. So, yeah, I know there's, you know, you see a lot of, uh, you know, seniors, elderly people with kind of the monitors, you know, the, you know, they can push yes. a button if they need help. And I absolutely, I think that's important uh, because absolutely. you never want to be in a situation where you can't get assistance. But I think more emphasis needs to be on fall prevention, not what do you do after you fall. <laughs> yeah, yes, I agree. Yeah. And, you know, I, I address some of the issues there as well. Now, I am not suggesting that people work out the way I do. That's not reasonable right. in many cases. Yeah. Um, a lot of ca- but <laughs> I looked at it and went, I can't do that. There's just no way. It, you look at what? I can't. I couldn't. What I saw you do on tape, I oh. couldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I am not suggesting that people do that yeah. sort of stuff. But, you know, like we have to, you have to take care of yourself if you're going to give your gifts to the world. In this case, you're giving your gifts to possibly your parents or another loved one. If you're going to give your gifts to the world, whether it be a message, whether it be caregiving, you have to take care of yourself. And you have to take care of yourself as a lifestyle, not as a program. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're absolutely <laughs> so, right. Yeah. But, I, but, I don't, but I don't think it's, uh, it's ever too late. Uh, I mean, no, it's, it's never, never too late, too late to, to strengthen yourself. Certainly, if you kept in good condition your entire life, great. But if you really didn't or you had a, a span between from the time you were 50 to the time you were uh, 80 and you didn't do much, it's not too late. And people, Absolutely not. Yeah. The, the research has shown that you know, 80-year-olds benefit tremendously from strength training. I know a person personally who never exercised a day in his life. He started at 70. By 76, six years later, he was in the best shape he had ever been in. Yeah. And, I, uh, and I've, you know, like you said, you've listened to some of my podcasts and have learned a lot. I got news mm-hmm. yet. I have learned a lot. I mean, you know, I'm interviewing these people. Yeah. I'm just asking the questions. They're, they're, they're giving me the answers. <laughs> and I, I, I think that there's always that question is, what's more important, the cardio or, or the strengthening? And, and you know, it's all That's funny. I have my own opinions about that. Okay, so I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what I've learned through various people I've interviewed. Yes, please. Number one, it's all please. important. But it's, it, yes. from a standpoint, what we're talking about right now, and we're talking about somebody in their 
70s, 80s that are trying to, mm-hmm. you know, get stronger. Um, it is strengthening and, and, and it's the legs. Yes. Oh, yes. That's the as number I am one. Getting it's older. the legs, <laughs> and it's the strengthening over the cardio. So you know, I, I've heard instead of going on these, you know, a two mile walk, you know, strengthen your legs with proper, you know, proper, you know, doing it the proper way, of course. Now, the last thing I want to ask you about when it comes to caregiving is the gender roles that you see. Gen- caregiving has typically been rather female oriented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you see that changing? I, I do. Uh, it is changing. And um, I, I still believe, and I'm just saying from my own, not looking at any statistics, just looking mm-hmm. at uh, the work that I do and my people that with my or, with my organization do every day, I would say that certainly the majority of the caregivers that we work with are female. However, statistics, but we're seeing more males. There's no doubt about it. We're seeing more males, uh, the sons, uh, the nephews, whatever, getting involved. And statistics are showing that it's actually moving even closer to 50-50. I'm not seeing that, uh, that it's that, mm. that even, but statistics are showing that. Uh, but certainly the, uh, the men uh, of Families are, are, are becoming more of an important role, you know, mm-hmm. as, a, as a caregiver, or at least uh, getting more involved, not just leaving it up to the sister to take care of mom. They might be involved in, in helping uh, manage financial, you know, the financial mm-hmm. uh, books okay. or whatever the case may be of the parent. Uh, it may not be doing the, the heavy work, but... To me, that's that's on. still caregiving, okay? Yes, Providing yes, you yeah. know assistance to a parent, whatever the case may be, is caregiving. So they're just playing yes. a more important role and not just leaving it up to uh, uh, another sibling. Okay, yeah. okay. Because yeah. uh, the reason I ask that question, where that question comes from, is because I've had to search inside of myself, Frank, Watching my wife take care of me, I've had to ask the question, could I take care of her as well as she has taken care of me? Mm-hmm. Now, I've answered that question several ways over the past 11 years since that accident. And sometimes my answer embarrasses me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. so, yeah, um, and I've discussed this with her. Um, so she's aware of my the- feelings and thoughts here. But could I have taken care of my wife, being the person I am, as well as she had taken care of me? I owe her a tremendous debt for bringing me back to life from that accident. Could I have done the same? Well, but there, there's that guilt I was talking about, right? I mean... There are many harsh realities. You know, in the inner game of aging, I can't ignore the harsh realities of getting older. Now, I believe that we've turned, as a culture, turned aging into something that it is not. And I'm trying to show us the powerful side of aging, the beautiful side of aging, what time gives us rather than what time takes away. However, there are harsh realities here to face, you know. 
if I look at my face, it's not like it was when I was <laughs> 20 years right. old. Right. You know, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and as I get older and older, there are more harsh realities to face. But we find the message I'm trying to give in the inner game of aging is we've discovered that as we get older, we seem to mind our aging bodies less and less and less Yes. as we get older. Yes. And so um, to fear aging is really the crime, to fear our own aging. And believe me, Frank, I don't know if you've ever had a near-death experience in the manner that I have, but after that, death is not a problem. You know, the harsh realities of aging seem so normal. It's biology. It is what we do to our own hearts and minds as we age that is the more damaging issue that I try to address. Yeah. Um, even watching our parents get old, we start to feel something inside about our own aging, which starts to take away from our experience for the rest of our lives in terms of aging. We have many people who think that after 80, there is no more life. Right. And that's, yeah, that's <laughs> so, uh, so not true. <laughs> that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Two more questions. Um, we mentioned earlier that our lifespans in this culture are changing, getting increasing. What name a fact name some factors that you think are contributing to that? You did touch upon that in an earlier statement, but you know, when my our grandparents, their lifespans was about sixty five or right. seventy. Yeah. And now it's ninety is not uncommon right. at all. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and where's this coming from, Frank? Well I think as I said, uh, uh, I touched on earlier uh, that the fact that we're beating diseases before that were you know uh, that we didn't beat earlier. So, I mean, you hear all the time about you know somebody you know years ago you had somebody had a heart attack they may not have pulled through. Now, That's right. oh, he had a heart attack. Well, how many stints did he get? I mean, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. he's fine, right? They're fine. And and then they go on many years, and then they might get a couple more stents or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And then you hear yeah. about people who, you know, obviously there's certain type of cancers that, you know, aren't, uh, you know, are, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you hear about, you know, I remember years ago, I remember my grandfather having cancer, and no one would even mention the word, the C word, you know, now it's like, you know, you hear about it, you, 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 you know, the reaction isn't this person's going to die. The reaction more is, well, yeah. what treatment are you doing? What stage is it at? I mean, people openly talk about that. So I think that yes. that is a key reason. And I also believe that um, uh, I, I want to believe, let's put it this way, that people maybe are eating better and taking better care of themselves. And, and uh, I think, yeah. you know, I think we have a ways to go with that, but, um, but I think the primary Absolutely. reason is just bottom line: we're beating other other diseases. Beating yeah. diseases. Yeah. Now, I ask this question of almost all of my guests, and you are a prime candidate for this question, being sixty-three years old. But you would be a prime candidate for this question, no matter what age you mm-hmm. were. You are sixty-three years old, Frank Sampson. What has surprised you most 
about being 63? Um, I, I, guess, yeah, I guess what surprised me most, <clears throat> I guess when I was uh, much younger, I, I, I thought that, you know, when I get into my 60s, I'm going to be a much older person. I don't feel 63. I don't act 63. Um, so, I'm looking at you, and you don't strike me as a 63. Yeah, I, I just... Uh, you don't. I don't know. I, I, I it, it, The thing about it, I can think of so many people I know that I outlived. Uh, yeah, already. You know? and, and so I look at it as just a blessing, really, that I, I'm... I'm here today at 63 feeling good i've got grandchildren i you know so what surprises me is that i uh i i guess i just don't feel that doesn't i, I don't i don't feel 63 and i don't you know <laughs> you have it folks it was such an honor to share thoughts with this man as always to finish off this episode nicely visit the show notes page for this episode at innergameofaging.com forward slash iga9 there you will find more information about frank his book and his podcast and Frank has made a very generous offer to five of my listeners. Simply tell us how this episode has affected you by leaving a comment on the show notes page. Three weeks after this episode has been released, currently scheduled for September 26th, I will select five of those comments as the winner of Frank's Aging Boomers book. And I will notify you that you have won via email, so please make sure it is correct. Again, the show notes page for this episode can be found at innergameofaging.com, no spaces, forward slash IGA9. If you enjoyed this podcast and find it useful, insightful, or inspiring, then help others discover the messages within these episodes. Share the podcast on your social media. But the best way to help others discover this is by leaving a review in iTunes. Others discover new podcasts by these reviews. It doesn't have to be a five-star review. Your honest and respectful opinion will help others tune into these messages and information. Also, feel free to contact me directly using Lee at innergameofaging.com This podcast is still young, so for the moment you can be assured that I will read each and every email. So, until next time... Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Limo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com That's theinnergameofaging no spaces dot com Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.